0: Welcome to the second season of the Gutsy Health Podcast with Seanique Roney and Gina Warfel, where we share uncomplicated, practical, and affordable wellness education so you can be a self-healing champion. This episode is brought to you by the Gutsy Health Membership Program, a program that gives you inexpensive tools and resources to heal your mind, body, and soul. Visit our website at mygutsyhealth.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Gutsy Health Podcast. I have a very impressive doctor on our podcast today. His bio is literally, the more I read it, the more it blows my mind because he's written over 400 scientific journals. He's published 13 books, hundreds of chapters on hypnosis, psychological oncology, stress, physiology, trauma, psychotherapy. And as you guys know, like I'm all about doing the work around the mind and doing heart and soul work and mind work in order to heal your body because you can't just try to heal a body from the neck down. Your brain and your consciousness and your subconscious are such crucial players when it comes to healing. So Dr. David Spiegel, I would love you to introduce yourself just because your bio is so extensive and so impressive. I feel like I'm not going to do justice to it. And so it's such an honor to have you on the podcast and to hear the work that you've done and you're doing and how you get it. You have seen disease and you've seen dysfunction and you realize this is a brain issue. This is a mind issue. And so welcome, Doc. Let listeners know who you are and how you've been in this field for years and years and the things that you've created.
1: Thank you, Tris. I'm glad to be here. I appreciate that introduction. I'm a physician, a psychiatrist. I did my medical training at Harvard Medical School and then residency in psychiatry there. I went on to Stanford University and I'm now... Professor and Associate Chair of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Stanford. I run our Center for Integrative Medicine, which I founded in 1998, where we do techniques like hypnosis, mindfulness, the base stress reduction, functional medicine, that is food as medicine, acupuncture. And I've devoted my career to studying techniques like hypnosis, which are mind-body, but also body-mind, where you can get to your body very quickly and change the way you relate to your body. How did you get
0: uh, there from being a doctor in psychiatry? Because that's very medicine and it's very cerebral and it's very like, what's your journey of going over to what I like to call the dark side, which is actually the light side. What was oh, that? The
1: light side. Yeah, It is the
0: light side. It really well, is. <laughs>
1: It's partly a genetic illness in my family. Both of my parents were psychiatrists and psychoanalysts.
0: Oh, interesting. And
1: they told me I was free to be any kind of psychiatrist I wanted to be,
0: so here I am. (laughs) I love it.
1: My late sister Annie was the pediatrician, and she used to say that she was the only real doctor in the family. (laughs)
0: lots of um, really smart people in your family
1: (laughs) i went to college i was an undergraduate at yale and i decided to study philosophy i just wanted to understand how people thought
0: that's so cool
1: all the different theories in psychology, each week we'd have a different theory and it made perfect sense, but I couldn't decide one from another. So I would think about that some more and studied mostly existential philosophy. Amazing. When I got to medical school, my father had been trained to use hypnosis when he was in combat in World War II, actually, wow. to help with combat stress reactions and pain when guys were wounded. Wow. And I took a hypnosis course in medical school and the first patient I ever used hypnosis was a 15-year-old girl with in status asthmaticus she was wheezing Mm. couldn't breathe properly we tried epinephrine twice it hadn't worked we were going to the next step was general anesthesia and putting her on steroids well and i didn't know what to do but i had started the hypnosis course and she's there bolt upright in bed her mother's standing next to me crying Mm. and i said to her you want to learn a breathing exercise and she nods and i got her hypnotized and then i panicked realizing that we hadn't gotten asthma in my course yet. So I said something very clever. I said, each breath you take will be a little deeper and a little easier. And within five minutes, she's lying back in bed. She's not wheezing anymore. Her mother stopped crying. The nurse ran out of the room. My intern comes looking for me. I'm just a medical student at this point. And I thought he was going to pat me on the back and say, what the hell did you do, Spiegel?
0: And he didn't. And
1: he said, the nurse has filed a complaint with the nursing supervisor that you violated Massachusetts law by hypnotizing a minor without parental consent.
0: Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me?
1: And Massachusetts has a lot of weird laws. I lived there for seven years. I know it well. But that isn't on the list. Uh,
0: Oh, I'm irate just hearing that.
1: And so he said, you're going to have to stop doing this. And this is the story with hypnosis. I'll tell you, it's the oldest Western conception of a psychotherapy, 250 Mm. years old. Mm. First time a doctor, a talking interaction between a doctor and a patient was thought to have therapeutic benefit. And people still either think it's ridiculous and a stage show trick or it's dangerous. So I said, I'll tell you what, you can take me off the case if you want, but as long as she's my patient, I'm not going to tell her something I know isn't true. So- She'd been hospitalized once a month for three months wow. up to that point. She did have one subsequent hospitalization, but she went on to become a respiratory therapist. Wow. I thought that anything could help a patient that much, violate a non-existent Massachusetts law, had to be worth, worth looking it. into. And she practiced doing self-hypnosis to break that cycle of you get stressed you feel your body tense up you notice that and you think it's really bad and it's this sort of cycle going back and forth and the thing about it was you could see it happening before your eyes even with a Mm -hmm. medication it takes a while for the thing to work and here within a few minutes she's feeling better and so crazy it became very clear to me that this was a technique that was different from most of what I was being taught about medication and other things. And I'm a doctor, I use meds, but it just seemed to me that there are other ways by which people can very quickly change their mind-body relationship and use that to their benefit.
0: I had this really profound realization a year ago. I was very ill and I was having severe neurological decline. And I had this realization that if my mind and my stress and what I've been through can create this prison, it can actually uncreate it. Right? Our mind is extremely powerful. Our subconscious is extremely powerful because I actually had that download in a ketamine session where my mind literally was like, You've created this for yourself. You can uncreate it. It's just going to take a lot of work. And so the mind is so powerful. Like I've seen what, when you can get into those states and people, like you said, it's not like this showy thing. It's not woo. It's not scary. It's not weird. You're fully in control the entire time. I think people are scared of giving up control, but that's the thing about it. Like I've been to hypnotherapist before. It was is transformative, right? I could, while I'm in a deep state, I could, if I wanted to, get up and walk out the room. I'm 100% in control and they always let you know that. And so if people who are starting to listen to this podcast are feeling uneasy because of the stage performance of like hypnosis and you're watching people eat a lemon like it's an apple, it's not like that at all. So you got deeper into hypnotherapy. What are some things that you saw out in the field? And just listeners, so you know, this guy has created an app. We're going to talk about it later, but you need to stick around to hear what he has created to help people do do this kind of self-healing at home. It's remarkable. It's so remarkable. But tell us what you have seen in your practice. That was your first exposure. How did it unfold from there?
1: I started using it. My The first job I had was at the Palo Alto Veterans Administration Hospital, and I started seeing combat veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder. And I still remember one lovely guy who had been hospitalized for psychiatrically for a year, and he had just freaked out in the middle of combat in Vietnam and nobody knew why. And he was actually thrown in jail for a while because he was taking LSD on the mm-hmm. beach and the cops picked him up in a drug raid. And And this one wonderful social worker interviewed him. He's not your typical psychotic person. And there's something with his combat that has to do with it. And it turned out that he had in Vietnam, he was a cook in the army and he had adopted a Vietnamese orphan. Yeah. And one day he came back and found that the boy had been killed in a <sighs> bombing attack.
0: Aww. And
1: he just lost it, and he went out in the jungle and started yeah. screaming and shooting and mm. doing all kinds of things. And he was thought to be have severe psychiatric problems, and he had, but the, it was post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. So I hypnotized him and said, let's go back and learn something about what you remember or what happened. And he pictured coming upon the, he, the boy's body and screaming and crying, this can't be. <sighs> He was the youngest in a big family in Chicago. His brother was a police officer who had been killed in the line of duty. And he then recalled seeing the boy. And I then said, I want you to picture one time when you were really happy with him. He called the boy "Shytown" town because he was from Chicago. And he pictured a birthday party and he mm-hmm. got him a model railroad set from his sister Josie to him. And he was really happy. And his affect changed completely. Mm. So he had living with inside him all of these very happy memories of yeah. the time that he had looked after this boy. And I said, those memories aren't negated just because you lost him. And so I want you to grieve him, but I want you to also remember the happy times you had together. Yeah. So we relived his, the burial. He held up his hand and said, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And he cried. And then he pictured that. And he came out of about 40 minutes of doing, and I asked him to tell me what he remembered. And he said, all I remember is a grave and a cake. He began to get better. He he would practice the exercise. He would grieve the boys loss, but remember the years that they Mm -hmm. enjoyed. The good
0: times. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I'm crying. (laughs) That's so sweet.
1: So you can get to things very directly, very quickly. And I can see you're touched by it, Trist. And hypnosis, it's a state of highly focused attention it's like you must get caught up in movies get, forget you're watching a movie and enter the imagined world so you narrow the focus of attention like looking through the telephoto lens of a camera You dissociate, which is what you did on ketamine, outside of awareness, things that ordinarily would be in consciousness. We Mm -hmm. do that all the time. You're sitting on a chair. You probably have sensations in the parts of your body that are touching the chair, but hopefully you weren't aware of that until I mentioned it. If you were, we could stop now. (laughs) We all focus attention to some extent and dissociate, but in hypnosis, you do that in more extreme ways. And what you mentioned exactly, what you were right on about people being afraid of losing control. It's actually, that's the biggest misunderstanding Mm -hmm. of hypnosis. It's a way of gaining control.
0: Like you get very centered. It's a very centering practice where it's, oh, there's silence here. My experience with hypnosis was my brain is so noisy and I've dealt with my own PTSD and my own traumas from actually losing my husband to cancer. And so that's something I've been healing. And so when you go into this or you're guided into a hypnotic state, it's, oh, there's actually peace here in my center. It's like you're getting very self centered again. Right. And all the noise is coming down. That's what my experience was. Is that typical or is that abnormal?
1: No, that is typical because part of what happens where people worry about suggestibility, you know, that you're somebody will talk you into something and you can't say no, you can. What you do in hypnosis is let go or put aside some of your usual assumptions about who you are and what you do, which is a great framework to try something new to change. You're Mm -hmm. more open to change in a state like that. So the part that I think opened you to change your perspective on the things you had to deal with, what you could experience yourself in a smaller, lighter way in which you were not as equally burdened down by the things that were understandably troubling you. And you could try mm-hmm. out being somewhat different and see what it felt like.
0: Yeah. It's like taking off an old shirt and putting on a new shirt in different conscious realm. I like that. The chaotic shirt you're taking off and then you're trying on a less chaotic shirt. Oh, I like the way that this one feels. It's less scratchy.
1: Yeah. I like that. That's a nice way to put it. So Mm -hmm. you're freer to try things and it means you're going to be different. You may do things you don't like. You may do things that feel wonderful. That Mm -hmm. new shirt may feel really good. But it's a way of trying experientially more than cognitively. You just see what it feels like to be different. Mm-hmm. If you like it, keep doing it. If you don't, okay, go yeah. back to where you were. And so it's an occasion where people are poised to, to make change. Amazing experience things differently, and so I found we could significantly reduce pain. We,
0: we what significantly it. are we talking like people in debilitating pain and pain meds come off of it and they're living like a normal life? What's the extent to this? I want listeners to really understand how powerful this can be.
1: Well, there are lots of examples, but one recently I saw a lovely young woman who was seven months pregnant, had very bad lower back disease, disc disease, mm. and of course, as the baby got heavier and bigger her got back or more. They couldn't give her opioids because she She's was, pregnant. you know. Mm-hmm. And so I got her hypnotized. And one thing you do, you don't fight the pain. We people who use hypnosis, the worst thing you can tell someone is don't think about purple elephants.
0: <laughs> yeah, right.
1: <laughs> and so you don't fight the pain, you transform it. You mm-hmm. imagine. So I ask people, where do you physically get the most relief from your pain? And it'll mm-hmm. be like a warm bath or an ice pack or something. Mm-hmm. So I had her floating in a warm bath, filter the hurt out of the pain in hypnosis. And she started her pain with 7 out of 10. She opened her eyes and it was 3 out of 10. Wow. But she looked angry. What? I said, yeah. I said, why are you angry? She said, why are you the last doctor I got sent to instead of the first? Right. We are so used to, in medicine, treating the body as if it were a broken car. Mm -hmm. Just replace the muffler or do something. Injection, ingestion, incision. Mm -hmm. That's what it has been. And sometimes that's necessary. That's the right thing to do. But very often you can start with simpler inexpensive, highly effective things that can make a difference. And the big mistake that patients and doctors make is if you make the pain better, it's all in your head. Mm -hmm. That is not true. The strain in pain lies mainly in your brain and your brain decides what's painful and what isn't. Can you
0: further go into that? Like, why does the brain do that?
1: Well, first of all, all of our sensory experience involves interpretation. You're looking at me, I'm looking at you on Zoom, but your brain is interpreting that it's not really you. It's an image of you. It's two dimensional but I'm inferring three dimensions. You've got a nice pink headset on. I'm putting a story together. And so the brain is always interpreting the sensory input and making sense of it, deciding what it is. And that includes how much pain bothers you, how strong the pain feels. Is it worth worrying about or not? I think we evolved this way because we're basically very pathetic physical creatures. We don't run that fast. We don't smell that. We don't hear that well. And predators detect motion. That's how they catch living animals. And if you have the ability to modulate your pain experience, you're more likely to survive because you can just freeze and evade detection. And so we have this big three pound brain on the top of our head and one of its major functions is modulating sensory input. And we were able to show that, literally, I had one study where we took a bunch of Stanford students who were very hypnotizable, we gave them a series of shocks to their wrists, Mm -hmm. and I could see the electrical response. We call Mm -hmm. it a sensory evoked response. And you could see the peaks at tenth of a second, three-tenths of a second, and half a second, where the typical peaks from a series of shocks are shown. And then... In hypnosis, I said, your hand is cool, tingling, and filtered the hurt out of the pain. And the 10th of a second, the initial response just disappeared. Wow. So the the brain wasn't even detecting it anymore. Yeah, it was just treating like it's not there. It wasn't like it felt it and said, oh, I better do something different. It literally reduced the amount of response to the... What? Yeah. That's crazy. It it was was striking. It is, but it's true. And so we then went on to do randomized clinical trials. We did one study that we published in the British medical journal, The Lancet. It's one of the leading medical journals. 241 patients who had or were on operating tables with, having cut downs into their femoral artery and the top of their leg, giving chemo embolization of tumors in the liver or visualizing renal artery stenosis. It's not a lot of fun. You don't use general anesthesia can last up to two and a half hours. Everybody in the sample had a button they could push to give themselves opioids in their blood. Mm-hmm. That was the, the standard care. We added a friendly nurse being comforting and helping people through it in a second condition. And in a third condition, we taught them self-hypnosis. Wow. Floating in a bath, a lake, a hot tub, floating in space, filter the hurt out of the pain. By the end of an hour and a half, the average pain level in the standard care group was five out of 10. Wow, The average pain level in the nursing support condition was 3 out of 10, and it was 1 out of 10 in the hypnosis group.
0: What? And
1: they were using half as much opioids as the standard care group.
0: That's insane. It's not crazy. It's science. Like, you have scientifically proven this. Right. Right. And this is the power of the mind, and this is actually what hypnobirthing is all about. Women Absolutely. literally hypnotize themselves to have easy, breezy births. I actually remember with my first son, I did hypnobirthing. When I remember when I started losing mental control, and then my pain started to get worse. And it was like in the beginning, mm-hmm. I could breathe through it, but then I got to a point where I started to panic. And then as soon as I lost that control, I was out of my hypnosis, and then it was just like it was all downhill from there. <laughs> it wasn't I'm fun. Sorry to
1: hear it, but that's a very clear description of what can happen that if if the pain takes over and you start to panic you will intensify the pain Mm -hmm. it's not just you're not controlling it but it can you
0: intensify it it. that's a hundred percent accurate you do you panic and then it gets worse and worse and worse and it's this like positive feedback loop but in the worst way well
1: my dear wife helen is a stem cell biologist or when she gave birth to our first child our son dan who was 10 pounds when he was- Whoa, there.
0: that's a big baby.
1: <laughs> she was, I had her imagining she was floating in Lake oh. Tahoe. And there were moments where she kind of lost it, but, you know, no major anesthetic moves, just doing this self-hypnosis. And I had no pain at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> she, you did a great job.
1: <laughs> I, and she controlled it. And our daughter, Julia, was born. We were sitting at breakfast. It, that was a long labor. It was 10 mm-hmm. hours. With Julia, we had breakfast. She said, I think I remember this feeling. And we were having lunch at 1 o'clock, and Julia was born, and she had very little
0: wow. discomfort.
1: So, yes, you can And think about it. Throughout human evolution, women have given birth to kids right. without chemical anesthesia. You right. know? And one interesting thing is they usually did it squatting, not lying. So that gravity helps you in a position where you can
0: Well, and you can like hunker down, like you can push down with your back muscles too. So I have a very selfish question because I want to talk about your app soon. Can I use that app for hypnobirthing? Because I'm 12 weeks pregnant right now. wonderful. Thank you. (laughs) So I'm 12 weeks pregnant and I have a lot of trauma. I had my first two babies before my husband died. And now this one is post-trauma, post all the things. Could I use your app for like hypnobirthing?
1: You bet. Oh, yes. We have have a pain app and we don't have a, a particularly hypnobirthing version, but we have four different pain exercises on the app. So the app is called Reverie, yeah, uh, E at the end. Tell us everything
0: um, about the app, why you designed it, and then we can go into the pain part. We Then we can get more selfish right. about how I can use it. But tell listeners okay. how you designed it, how you came up with it, what it can do for them, all the nitty gritty details. Because not everyone has access to a good hypnotherapist. It's normally referral-based. I don't think hypnotherapists can market themselves. Like therapists in general aren't allowed to market. It's like a breach.
1: You can yeah, it's advertising is usually looked down upon. And you want people as therapists who are licensed and trained their discipline like psychology or medicine or dentistry or OBGYN or whatever, mm-hmm. and trained in using hypnosis. But we realize there aren't that many of us. No. It's expensive, it's hard to get to. And Trist, I figure that I have used hypnosis with about seven thousand people in my career, mm-hmm. research subjects and patients. And I thought when I started my career that if you just do enough science, you show the brain scans showing changes in brain function when people go into hypnosis and the randomized trials, like the one I talked to you about, that people will come around, they'll get it. Mm -hmm. This is real science and it hasn't happened. And I just decided, that while I can, I want to spread the wealth. I want people to get as much benefit as we can out of what we've learned from using hypnosis. Yeah. And I thought D to C, go direct to consumers. And Mm. we've got apps now. So about four years ago, we had a brain-mind summit at Stanford and I was talking about hypnosis. And this guy, Ariel Poehler, comes up to me. He's an MIT Stanford Business School grad who helped to start Strava, which is a major exercise app. And he said, hey, David, You want us to make a hypnosis app? I said. Sure. Heck yeah. It was when Amazon, the Alexa platform was growing and they were making it easy for you to form these verbal interactive apps. And I thought part of the problem is there are lots of boring hypnosis tapes around and that's not very exciting. But I want something where I can ask a question. Are you responding to this? If yes, I'll say one thing. If no, I'll say another. Mm. So it's much more like the experience of being in my office with me.
0: That's cool. So
1: we built, the first one we did was stop smoking. And it was a little... Clunky, the app itself had some problems, but we got 19% of the people who used it to stop smoking. Had That's one amazing. Wonderful person who lives in San Francisco, who at first didn't like it. She's sort of a tough, cynical person. She helps homeless people. She's very interesting. And she said, I tried it, didn't like it. I went home, <laughs> tried it again. I lit up a cigarette and I thought, who needs this?
0: Wow. And
1: she'd been smoking for 25 years.
0: Oh my goodness. She stopped
1: cold and she wrote me and she said this is some crazy ass voodoo I, she said and i mean that in a good way i
0: love it that's so great uh,
1: and so it convinced me that this thing can work even mm-hmm. when i'm not there even remotely yeah and she's going around and helping her friends getting her friends to use it to stop Amazing. Smoking. but all hypnosis is really self-hypnosis just yeah. learning to use your own capacity Yeah. and then the strategy that you use and the strategy we use for smoking is to think about your relationship to your body think Mm -hmm. of your body as if it were your baby yeah would you ever put tar and nicotine into your baby's
0: lungs Mm, wow
1: so why not give your body the same respect you'd give your baby because your body is every bit as dependent on you as your baby is. wow that's a powerful
0: visualization i would never put a cigarette in a baby's mouth ever i just want to hold them and love them and protect them right wow and and we can't do that with ourselves that's amazing
1: that's the thing. It's not yourself. It's your body. That's how people fool them. Over. Yeah. They're, well, I'm just doing it to myself. well oh. Yeah, you can stop anything you're doing to yourself anytime you want, but you may have already done so much damage to your body that it can't recover. So it's not about yourself. It's about your body. Mm. For my body smoking is a poison. I need my body to live. I owe my body respect and protection. Yeah. So you focus on what you're for. And that also means you can <laughs> feel good from the minute you stop. Yeah. You're not depriving yourself. You don't worry about nicotine withdrawal. Nobody's ever died in nicotine withdrawal. You focus Focus on a commitment to respect and protect your body. Yeah. So it looked like it was working. And the other thing is I was worried, well, bad things happen. You know, we'll say, uh, well, something terrible happens if somebody out there gets hypnotized and can't get out of it. And we have now enrolled 330,000 people on the mm-hmm. Rivery app and the number of possible problems i can count on the fingers of one hand and most of them were things like my headache got worse instead of better you know big deal right so i'm it's not like
0: someone went out and started robbing cars and stuff it's nothing stupid like that it's just yeah it's just worse headache exactly
1: it doesn't just doesn't happen right so and because when you get caught up in a sunset or a movie or reading a novel you're in a hypnotic state Mm -hmm. only you don't call it that you can bring yourself in and let yourself enjoy it Mm -hmm. and then yourself out again. That's Mm -hmm. that's just part of who we are. Do you think that the
0: idea of hypnosis and this amount of accountability is maybe scary for people because we don't want to actually have that much control? Because for me, I feel like we'd much rather take a supplement, a pill and like outsource the solution to the problem than actually realize, oh, I might be the problem and my thoughts might be the problem. What are your thoughts around that?
1: You raise a very interesting point that possibility is also responsibility. That if you could mm-hmm. control. It. You have to ask yourself, why aren't I? I'd say one reason is many people just don't know how, mm. or they have the capacity, but they're approaching it the wrong way. Yeah, I'm depriving myself of cigarettes, or I'm mm.
0: paying more
1: attention to the pain because I'm thinking about it. Yeah. So there are things to learn. We all come with this powerful brain. It's our major evolutionary advantage, but it does not come with a user's manual. Yeah. And so it's not surprising just as a, there are things as an athlete, you'll discover your body can do that. You didn't think it could, and you have to train it to do it. Why shouldn't the same be true for our brains? There yeah. are things that our brains can do, but we got to learn how to use them and use it properly.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: you can learn to go into this state, intensify your focus, alter the way you relate to your body, and control problems, pain and stress, and have bad habits like overeating or smoking. Focus your attention better, sleep better. Sleep is one of the major things people Mm -hmm. use reverie for. You can't force yourself to sleep. In fact, the more frustrated you get about not falling asleep, the more you wake yourself up. That's true. So you learn to just project your thoughts and feelings onto an imaginary screen and let your body float. Mm -hmm. So you let your body relax. You don't force it. Forcing yourself to relax is a paradox. You can't do it but mm-hmm. you can affiliate with images that help your body feel relaxed and comfortable. And so I designed Reverie to teach people things like that and to have it listening to my voice. How are you doing? Is your hand floating in the air or not? If it is, you'll hear one thing. If not, you'll hear something else. So it's truly mm-hmm. an interactive app. Each exercise is about 11 to 13 minutes. You can just listen to me or you can have the interactive version. And we're finding that the majority of people who try it for stress or pain feel better within 15 15 minutes. Amazing. And we have some one minute reinforcement exercises too. So it's the kind of thing where it doesn't hurt and it'll probably help. And you'll know right away. Yeah. If it helps, great. If it doesn't, that's fine. But I wanted to spread what we have learned about how you can help people with hypnosis as widely as I can. And a lot of people, while I'm talking to you, I'm helping a lot of people now and that makes me feel
0: good. So you mentioned people that if it works in 15 minutes, it's great. If it doesn't, then that's okay. With the people that it's not working for, would you say just keep practicing and trying? Would you say getting into hypnotic state is like a muscle that you have to train? Or are some people more pliable than others
1: some people are more hypnotizable than others yes for sure hypnotizability is an amazingly stable trait most children are very hypnotizable i feel like they're in a
0: hypnotic state all the time all the time like all the time like they're just imagination and play like they live in a very fun world (laughs) <laughs> they, do. they
1: do. It's a shame that we try to make them into little mm-hmm. adults. Childhood is so much fun, and you learn so. Everything is a learning experience for a kid. Mm-hmm. So let them do it. It's, we all have to grow up soon enough. Yeah. And so some of us lose that ability. Some retain it through adolescence, and then it, when you get into your twenties, your hypnotizability is about as stable a trait as IQ. Mm-hmm. About two thirds of adults are hypnotizable. About fifteen percent are extremely hypnotizable, and there's about a third to a quarter who just aren't very hypnotizable. But even 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 those can learn with the way we approach a problem, like protecting your body from cigarette smoke. Mm -hmm. It can help you even if you're not hypnotizable at all. Mm -hmm. We actually, on Reverie, have a hypnotizability test, takes about five minutes, and you'll get a score. from zero to ten about how hypnotizable you are yeah. and you can keep that in mind so if you're very hypnotizable man, you just go there and do it you feel yeah. it that's it if not you have to work at it a little more but you can still get a lot of benefit
0: from yeah. It. yeah I remember with my hypnotist he made me do some exercises and apparently I was very hypnotizable I was like yeah let's go I want to go to all kinds of places in my mind I personally think people can it's just going to take a lot of reprogramming because people that aren't are probably very guarded very cerebral very Left-brained versus right. right-brained right. people, and that's like the dominant neural pathways that they entertain every day. And so, it's just going to take some letting go of some walls and guards for them to allow themselves to feel themselves.
1: I think you're right. On the other hand, I don't want to make people feel bad if they just yeah. no like not at all whiz bang experience. Because the proof is in the pudding. The proof is, do you feel better? Is your pain better? Mm -hmm. Is your stress, are you handling stress better? Are you focusing more? Yeah. And however you get there, if you can do it, for some people, you'll just slide into it. It's natural. For others, it continues to take some effort, but that's okay because the main thing is you're doing it Where hypnosis is different from meditation is meditation, the idea is to just be a meditator, that you will be different in life. And I had one woman who was a meditator who had migraines and the meditation wasn't helping. She'd meditated for 10 years. Wow. And I taught her how to use self-hypnosis to imagine an ice pack around her head, filter the hurt out of the pain. Her migraines got better. And she said, thank you for relieving me of my guilt about intentionality. Oh, In meditation, you thought, get over yourself. Don't Mm -hmm. be intentional about anything. Just Mm -hmm. let things flow through you. Hypnosis is a more Western form where it's there to solve a problem. And I'm not trying to make a bunch of hypnotized people around the world. I'm trying to help them use it to make their lives better. And so you can use it to focus attention on a problem and do something about it and feel that you're having that effect. And that's the point of using hypnosis. It's a tool and it's a tool you can learn to use more and more effectively over time.
0: Now, haven't you used this a lot in oncology and with cancer patients? And yeah. you mentioned weight loss, you mentioned smoking, stress, pain. Can you touch a little bit on the oncology route and the stories and your experience around that?
1: Sure. So we have exercises in reverie for both acute and chronic pain. And cancer patients, unfortunately, deal with a fair amount of pain. And we have exercises like changing the temperature of the part of your body that hurts, warm, are cool, tingling numb is moving the pain around, just seeing what you can do to play with it. And that in itself gives you more of a sense of control. You can imagine, just leave your body here and go somewhere else. And I'll bet mm-hmm. you can do that, Trish. You can just go to the beach, mm-hmm. leave your body here and just see what it feels like to be in the sun, yeah. the ocean breeze blowing on you. And also another exercise that is a little more meditation-like that is helpful for people with cancer and other pain-inducing problems is feel a sense of compassion for your body. We get frustrated, angry. With mm-hmm. why are you doing this one trade cancer, yep one of my cancer patients said i feel like my body is a dog that has stopped obeying me i used to just tell it God. sit down get up go over there and it would do it and now it doesn't Yeah. and but if you had a little kid who was hurt you wouldn't be angry at him right. you'd comfort him you'd hug him and the same thing is with your body you're doing the best you can let's try and make it a little better when we taught women with advanced breast cancer and we had weekly support groups to do a self-hypnosis exercise. We used it to help them grieve losses and deal with their fears, but also to manage their pain. Imagine they were in a warm bath or had an ice pack or something. And at the end of a year, this was a randomized trial. The women in the support group condition as opposed to standard care had half the pain the control group did. Amazing. On the same and very low amounts of medication. And what they told me is they would if they felt a new pain in their chest, the first thing they think is, oh my God, I've got a new metastasis. Yep. And then they think, no, not necessarily. And they would, the ability to control the pain also yeah. helped them to control their anxiety about Around it the pain. Yeah. And so it can be very effective in both managing the stress of a serious illness That's amazing. And also controlling pain.
0: That's amazing. That's really what a gift because these cancer roads are really hard and traumatizing. And sometimes you just feel like you're drowning. To feel some kind of relief And control in a very scary situation can be such a gift. I want you to tell us a little bit more about the app. So it's called, remind me the name of it. And like Reverie,
1: R E V E R I, like a dream, but without the E at the end, Reverie.
0: Reverie. So if Um, we just go to the App Store, we just type in Reverie.
1: And just download Reverie. Reverie.
0: Reverie. Cool.
1: And the first seven days are free. You can try it out and see see what it feels like. It's not very expensive anyway, and you can do it by the month or the year or a lifetime if you want. Awesome. And if you have an Android rather than an iOS phone, you can go to Google Play and download the app there. Very we cool. also have a website, www.revery.com, where there's a lot of information, some of the papers we've published and the explanations about hypnosis and links to get to the App Store or Google Play. Amazing. And we welcome you to give it a try and see if it can help. When I started out, I was trying to make it as close as I could to be almost as good as being with me. And I think we've done pretty well. Mm-hmm. I have a terrific team of programmers and other content planners who are helping us do this. Amazing. Although it's basically the programs themselves are what I've developed over more than 40 years of doing this. Yeah. But we find one day I had a thought, we use it a lot for sleep. And it's funny, we have the pre postings. We got one very angry email from somebody. said the program isn't working right and I'm really upset and so we always try to make sure their thing is working right and it's fixed and she said and by the way the reason I'm so angry is that using it is the first time I've slept well in 15 years (laughs) so I want it to work so I said okay
0: so make it work fast please so I can sleep again
1: But we get this pre-post feedback on stress and pain, substantial reductions. We tried to do a sleepiness pre and post, how are you feeling? And we were getting very few responses, although it was the second most heavily downloaded app after pain. Yeah. And then we realized that we asked people, why aren't you telling us how it's working? They said, I just wanted to go to sleep.
0: I <laughs> right. I feel so good. I just want to bask in this.
1: <laughs> Don't ask me any more questions.
0: <laughs> I've actually realized the people that have the most to say are angry people, whereas happy people, they just go on with their life. Lives. And so but that's the same with my clinic. We service so many people and like hardly hear back from them. And then I'll run into someone and they're like, oh, yeah, my life completely changed. And my husband hasn't got headaches anymore. And my children don't have this. And I'm like, oh, that's amazing. But it's just because, like you said, they're just moving on with their lives. They're so grateful and they put that gratitude out into the universe, but not in an email. And that's okay.
1: I'm thinking you're right about that. But it is often true. I'm surprised when I run to someone who says how helpful it was. Uh-huh. I never heard anything. But part That's a good thing in this sense, Trist, and that is that they own it. They Mm -hmm. incorporate it. I had a guy once who he was a bricklayer who had defective ladder collapsed on his hand. He had a compound fracture of his index finger, it did not heal well.
0: Mm -hmm. His hand
1: was in a fixed flexion form, like this, Mm -hmm. and he was the insurance company was sure that he was baking it, Mm. disability, and he'd been making a pretty good living as a bricklayer. Yeah. He lost his home, he lost his wife. He wow. Was depressed and the insurance company wanted him to have his finger amputated. <gasps> so you'll never have a usable hand. And Bob Chase our wonderful hand surgeon said, "I'm not going to amputate a perfectly okay finger. No. Are you willing to try anything? Even a psychiatrist, even one who uses hypnosis." And the guy said, oh, "I'll try anything, doc." Hmm. He comes to see me his hand is like this. I get him hypnotized and say, You know what, your problem is you have muscle wasting. You have terrible circulation. Mm. If you just held your hand like that for a year, it wouldn't be looking too good. I said, So you're going to develop tremors in your hand and they'll start to spread and they'll begin to improve the circulation and build the strength.
0: Mm. And he sat in my
1: office for 20 minutes, sweat pouring off his brow wow. with his hand shaking. Wow. And, after three months, he had full extension of all the other fingers. Whoa. So the index one, it was a dynamic splint with a spring in it. By the end of a year, he had full motion of the
0: hand. What? He came into
1: the office carrying a 30-pound brick, and I thought he was gonna throw it through the window, you
0: know, what Whoa. He, said
1: he wanted to show me that he could now hold the brick with his hand and the trowel with the other hand and go back <sighs> to work.
0: That's I amazing. signed
1: his end of disability form. He had to do them to allow him to go back to work. They didn't believe he
0: actually. Whoa.
1: So I had him in to show the medical students at Stanford about this. And I'm explaining the way I explained to you, Trist. And he said, doc, when do I get to show him what I did? And the thing is, it wasn't like what you did to me or for me, it was what I did. And that's the idea. I'm teaching people to use an ability that they have within themselves. That they have,
0: yes. So that
1: is one good reason why sometimes they say, look, I learned to do this. Mm -hmm. You taught me, I learned the skill, I did it. Mm -hmm. And that's the way it should be. People are afraid that hypnosis is I'm giving you an order to do something and Mm -hmm. your unconscious will do it. That's not what it is. It's my teaching you how to use an ability you have and to use it better. Yeah, that's what hypnosis is about.
0: My last question, can we use these apps for children?
1: They were not designed for children. They're learning skills, but frankly, I don't see why not. Keep an eye on them. Make sure yeah. that they, I'd stay with them while they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Keep an eye on them. But the ideas or another thing you can do is use the ideas you learn from the app with mm-hmm. your child in the language that they understand and with their trust of you. But there's something playful about it too. And so we did a randomized trial with kids who had to have voiding cystourethrograms it's not fun but they're kids who have reflux of urine instead of it going out mm. the bladder it goes back up into the kidneys and can destroy the kidneys yeah. so you have to test that it's big time surgery and so if you don't have to do it you don't want to if they outgrow it they're okay yeah. so you once a year they have to get imaging so you have to inject dye into the bladder through the urethra and have them pee and then see whether it goes up or don't. and you're an 11 year old mm. girl you're on a hard cold table in a hospital and somebody's spreading your legs apart and saying it <sighs> and of course the more tense the girl or boy gets the harder it is to do it so mm-hmm. it just gets really unpleasant i taught the mothers and the mothers and i would be with them teaching them to imagine that they were playing at their friend's house going mm-hmm. to a party going to disneyland yeah. and the result was that in the treatment group we had a control play comparison the procedures got done 17 minutes quicker wow and that's a long 17 minutes for those kids.
0: yeah it is yeah guys
1: doing the scanning said it was so much easier to Mm -hmm. do it so yes it works with kids and as we mentioned before kids are more hypnotizable than adults so they've got the ability to do it and i know a lot of good pediatricians
0: yeah amazing
1: they say i'm going to turn off your pain by pressing a button and they press the kid's belly button and the kid giggles and do what you have to do so it can be very useful for kids
0: yeah I just know since my husband passed my two kids they started having stomach and headaches my son has stomach aches and headaches and every time he gets very emotionally like upset he'll start getting stomach pain right to the point where I'm like I'm pretty sure you have an ulcer and I've put the two together and I'm like probiotics are not going to fix it so this is like a nervous system dysregulation thing and the same thing with my daughter like she'll stomach aches and constipation. And so I'm just like, this is trauma. This is your brain in sympathetic dominance. And so I'm hopeful that I can maybe make it playful for them that they can, Hey, it's our hypnosis time and make it fun and playful. So awesome.
1: That's a great idea. You're very intuitive and I'm sure you're right. And that's the way they feel the pain and they're Grieving your late husband, and right. that's perfectly understandable. And couple that with just saying, look, I know you miss your dad. I miss him too. And just make that a, a, something one can discuss. And it may be a way of channeling some of that inner tension in a more positive direction.
0: Definitely. This has been such an amazing interview, Doc. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful that you exist in the world where you came into the family lineage that you did, where they were all psychiatrists. And then somehow your dad, you said, did hypnotherapy in World War II. And then that just sparked interest. And it's led you down how many years? 40 years of like hypnotherapy. 45, yeah. 45 years of scientific research and papers and books and apps so that you can help. I feel like we're on precipice of mental illness and mental health. And there's just like little gems like you in the world that are just trying to change and pivot the direction of the catastrophe, the mental catastrophe that this world is going into. So thank you for the work you've done.
1: Well, I appreciate you. You ask very insightful questions and it sounds to me like you're helping a lot of people too. And I'm very glad to meet you and be a part of it.
0: My job's easy. I just put spotlights on brainiacs like you. (laughs) That's it. I just find all these (laughs) gems in the world and I'm like, start talking. <laughs> so my job's very easy. But it's thank fun. you. I enjoy it. You're well, thank you for your time. And listeners, you're go welcome. and check out that app. And remember, I've created the order of healing for a reason. And if you guys have listened to my past podcast, you know what that means. But the very first step to healing is mindset. And this is what Dr. David Spiegel is all about. You can't heal a body when you're at war in your mind. And so if you can get the brain on board, I call it the thermostat. If you can just fix the thermostat, the house is gonna be cool. It's going, cool. it's going to be warm, right? And so get your brain on board, get your brain into a healing state, because your brain can create pain, it can create illness. Here's a great example. After my husband died, I started having aches and pains and health issues. And I just spoke with another widow whose husband died of cancer. And she has the exact same thing where she's having aches and pains. And every ache, she's it's cancer, and this is cancer. And this is all just trauma. And it's our brain just creating these aches and creating these pains, right? And so if our brain can create these things, they can uncreate it. And Dr. Dr. David Spiegel just totally showed us not only 45 years of experience, but research and papers and books. And so we're more powerful than we actually realize. And so I really,
1: I was just thinking, as you described that so nicely, that your body is in sympathy with your brain, your body Mm -hmm. is basically saying to you, I feel your pain.
0: Yeah, exactly. Your body's saying, I feel your pain, like your mental pain, right? It's like mental pain and the body just expresses it. It's like the brain interprets data and the body says, and so it shall be the body just does the will of the brain it's so amazing and so let's just fix the conductor up there right? let's make sure that the thermostat is working in our favor and it's cooling down the house in summer and warming it up in the winter and not vice versa so listeners thank you for listening today and we'll catch you next week I hope you found this information really valuable and that you felt really inspired by the power of not only your body but your mind and that you are more in control of your healing and your health than you realize until next time Thank you for listening to the Gutsy Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed and learned a lot from this episode. For more updates, follow us on Instagram at Gutsy Health Podcast.